0: Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk.
1: You're welcome along to News Talk's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding last week's programme, looking at children and their movement skills in sport today. You can still listen back to our podcast on newstalk.com. And as always, you can download the podcast on our app on the GoLite app and you can get in contact with us by emailing between the lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we're going to continue our discussion regarding children. But today we're specifically focusing on screen time and whether it's related or unrelated to increasing levels of anxiety in children. Joining me in studio, our panel Coleman Nochter, child and adolescent psychotherapist at St. Patrick's Mental Health Service, and also consultant, clinical psychologist, and the author of Hope in the Age of Anxiety, Dr. Claire Hayes. My thanks to you both for joining us today. Thank you. I might maybe just start, Claire, with yourself, um, first of all. Just in terms of children screen time and whether or not it's related to levels of um, high, higher levels of anxiety in kids in, in 2020, just what's your own experience?
2: Well, up until I started to do research for this, my own experience was that, yes, there was a link between screen time and the increase in anxiety. And then as I started to look at what the literature is actually saying, it really challenged me to think, why am I saying that? And I realised that I'd fallen into a trap that I think a lot of us have fallen into in assuming that because children are spending hours and hours and hours on screen time and because their anxiety levels are increasing and both of those are facts, that there is a very direct link. And interestingly, research was published in the, at the end of January by people in the States and they carried out a very extensive review of a lot of research in this area to challenge that view. So they're, say- they're not saying that there isn't a link and they're saying that actually their conclusion at the end is that probably my instinct, parents' instincts are true, but that the scientific stuff hasn't caught up enough. So I thought that was fascinating and I'm really looking forward to this conversation today.
1: And Can I just ask you on that? I mean, is that research relative to today? It's, it's, yes. recent, it is, it it's, is it's recent. It's
2: research. recent. It's published in the Journal of Child um, Psychology and Psychiatry. And it's an American publication, peer-reviewed, very prestigious journal. And it's actually very, very impressive. And what's great is people can Google that, use social media, use mm-hmm. use the technology we have, and the article is unrestricted. So people can listening to this programme today can actually read it themselves and really... I, I would hope that it raises their own awareness around the issues involved in researching this area.
1: Okay, so, so I don't want to paraphrase what, what you're saying or to to, um, to misquote you, Claire. but are we saying that there's no direct correlation between young no, children's screen time and anxiety? Yeah,
2: they're not saying there is, no. They're saying that there's um, conflicting evidence, but that the evidence actually isn't enough. And the way I think about it, Andrea, is if we go back to something as simple as we want to see, is there a link between... The amount of drink that people between drink driving. Well, we know yes there is. If people consume a lot of alcohol, well then their driving is impaired. But if we were to prove that scientifically using research, there would be two key variables. So there would be drink, and there would be driving, and then there's everything else. There. There is the what I call the yes but, but what about how fast a person is driving? What about how experienced they are? What about the level of alcohol they've already consumed? What about if whether they've eaten or not? How experienced they are? So suddenly there's a lot of other variables that come in that sort of muddy the original question. So when we're looking at the link between screen time and the level of anxiety in children, well, then we need to look at other things, not just the level of time, the amount of time that they spend. But we know that a lot of schools, for instance, use the children use iPads. Mm. So because they're looking at a screen, it does not necessarily mean that they're Googling all kinds of um, sites that are inappropriate for them. Or they might be using it in a way that's very productive. And one thing I read in the article that I thought, oh, that's true. A lot of young people with difficulties can actually be Googling things to help themselves. So we cannot actually make the assumption that just because people spend X amount on a screen, that equals to their mental health difficulties.
1: Can I bring you in, Colman Noctor, on this just from your own professional experience as well? Do you see it that there's conflicting evidence?
0: Um, yes, th- this is a disputed point. I mean, the the issue is there's two groups of people out there. There's people who come from a rights point of view, which says we are what we are, the technology is here, we just need to kind of brush ourselves up and do it. And then there's those from a responsibility point of view who are kind of into prohibition and, you know, we don't know the impact of this yet, so we need to keep people away. The issue is that the research around technology it will never be conclusive because how do you find out the facts of whether cyberbullying, exposure to pornography and violent images damages a child? Exclusively, you'd have to get a group of children, expose them to those things and find a group of children who haven't and you'll conclusively find a cause and effect issue. Ethically, that's, that will never happen. Mm, so yeah. we're looking for proof that technology is bad. That's what people want to hear. Parents want to know that it's, is it good or bad? The reality is technology is neither good nor bad. It's both. Yeah, and from the point yeah. of view, of this is a much more nuanced engagement it's very like what you said i mean screen time is a futile me- futile measurement i mean you could spend an hour on instagram or on YouTube, learning a song on a guitar, on a tutorial. It's a really good use of your time, you're learning a skill, etc. I spend the same hour going through Instagram profiles and feeling utterly miserable about myself and my self-esteem is destroyed. I'm in bits after it. We both spent an hour. The the currency of the dashboard just says an hour each. It doesn't say what we did. So we need to move away from a time-spent model and a time-well-spent model. It's not bad technology, it's bad usage. And the issue being that... There are young people out there who are more vulnerable to using the internet for social comparison. They It speaks in volumatically to their yeah. own level of anxiety, which makes the issue worse. And there are young people who engage quite maturely with technology and use it for their own benefit. So we need to... The problem is not the internet. It's it's human desire. Yeah.
1: And it, it's, I suppose in many ways, it's kind of the old story of it's not the, the quantity or the amount of time you're spending on the tablet. It's the quality, perhaps, of what you're looking at. And I would imagine... What maybe else is going on in the background as well? I mean, if there are underlying issues, as you talked about, in Instagram maybe and the effect that that can have on your own social, on your own self-esteem, I might look at the same Instagram post as you and we might have utterly different reactions to how we might feel in the aftermath of that. Absolutely.
0: And again, the, the vulnerability of the user is a really important part of this. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I speak to young people all the time and those young people who are heavily invested in the feedback that this they're they're monitoring the likes, they're really getting involved in the social currency element and it means a lot to them, then their mood and their anxiety is going to be very invested in that activity. There are others who post something and will check it intermittently, but it won't have an impact on their sense of self. But to get back to your point, are children more anxious now than they were before? I would say anecdotally, Absolutely, I've never mm. in my career seen more anxious children than I do now.
1: And can um, I just, just just on that point, Claire? Can I can I ask you as well, from as a clinical psychologist, is, yeah. is that is that your Absolute. experience as well?
2: Absolutely, and and I think also I'll add into that, it's I've also I'm meeting a lot of parents mm. who are anxious, and it could be a chicken and an egg. And I think certainly when we come to talk about social media, phones, time spent on phones parents, adults anxiety levels are increasing.
1: And so are these the parents of children who are anxious or is this separate? These no, no, are... no,
2: no, no. Parents of children who are anxious.
1: Parents of children who Yeah, okay. Yes.
2: Yeah, parents of children with anxiety. And they're well, obviously they're concerned about their children. So they're anxious, so, but they're anxious. So when we're looking at the say for instance the time that a young person spends on the phone, so if their parents are very anxious about it, I think the children pick up pick up that too. And it's not to say that we don't need to be careful about the use of children's use of social media. You know, absolutely we do. Mm. And, you know, the examples Coleman mentioned, very, very, very true. But there also is an element where some young people become addicted to this. And the World Health Organization has come out with a new disorder of gaming disorder. And while a tiny percentage of young people experience that, a lot of them, and you work with them as well, would um, present as being... uh, I suppose, challenging for parents, for family, in that it's becoming that the way they feel best about themselves is to do something on the computer. So the dangers of that is that they're shutting down other ways of communicating with people face-to-face and then there's spin-off effects in terms of obesity and all kinds of different Mm. things. I
1: know there's, again, there's sort of conflicting views around the classification as to whether or not gaming is an addiction, but I I take your point on that. C- can I ask you Coleman, just because you mentioned it there in terms of the anecdotal evidence to suggest that young children nowadays in Ireland in 2020 um, are suffering an awful lot more from anxiety than they were previously. Why is that though?
0: Because we live in a culture of anxiety and it's not just people who come to services. We're all way more stressed than we ever were before. But and why?
1: Because I remember, I mean, <clears throat> in the last 15, 20 years, You know, as somebody who's in their mid-30s, I never remember there being discussion about anxiety. I remember there always been discussion around mental health, but I never remember anxiety being a topic of discussion when I was in school,
2: for instance. Okay,
0: well, I'll share my thesis on it, my theory on it. I think the, the formula for anxiety or happiness is expectation minus reality equals happiness, okay? So we're living in a world where our expectations are getting driven off the chart and our reality is creeping at a pace way behind that. So mm. there's situations where we feel we need to be the best, the quickest, the fastest. Mm. The, like the Leaving Cert 10 years ago, 350, 400 points was a really decent Leaving Cert. Yeah, yeah. Now these kids are talking about five and 550. That's not reflective of the points race. It's reflective of expectations. It's, it's the grinds culture. It's the Leaving Cert mm. pressure culture that we're all wanting to, you know, there's parents going to Montessori's schools and saying, why can't my kid count to 10? That kid can count to 10 and we're playing Mozart to our bump, you know, before the child even comes into the world. So we have expectations about it being picture perfect and we've gotten into filtering things and putting, you know, making things look better than it is. And that's a narrative. But there's an interesting thing. The easier something becomes, the harder something seems. And I'll give you an example. I went into Uh, petrol station recently I went to pay for something and I went to tap my card and the girl said oh the tap isn't working I'm sorry and I looked at her and my face must have said, you mean I have to press four <laughs> digits? And it was this sort of ridiculous thing. But that's how the technology, our expectations of things being quicker, faster, we should never be bored, we should never be unhappy, we should never be miserable, we should be okay all the time. Mm-hmm. That, that narrative is making us under pressure to create more expectations. The gap between expectation and reality creates anxiety and unhappiness. And it may not be a problem with our reality, but an expectation of where our reality is. And I would see young people who'd come to me, Andrea, and they'd say, you know, what's there to live for? I'm going to do my leave and I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get married. That's not enough for me. And you're saying there's not a problem with your reality, but what you expect reality to give you. And that's, I'm not saying that that is an, a, not an authentic sadness. It really is. Mm-hmm. They were feeling this as real as they are. But it, the reality is not that there is necessarily a problem with what's going on, but what they expect from the world is not what it's delivering them. And that we need to manage expectation. And a lot of therapy is managing expectation as opposed to changing reality.
1: When well, I made the point about the fact that I think there's a lot more discussion around anxiety, um, perhaps in, in recent years, is that down to perhaps just a greater awareness of it?
0: Yeah, I mean, we have a, a, an issue where is we... Good things, yeah, well, it is and it isn't. We can be over-informed. And, I, I, you know, um, there's a saying out there, and this is controversial, but I think it's a, it's a fair point. It's okay to not be okay. But it's also okay to be okay. Do you know what I mean? From the point of view of, you know, I've gone to schools and, and then they've kind of show me around and shown their mental health initiatives and you know, this is our worry wall and this is our worry bucket and this is our worry list. And I'm going, God, if I was a kid in this class and I wasn't worrying, I might think there's something wrong with me. Do you know what I mean? So the dial maybe has flipped That We're we're talking about it an awful lot, almost that it's that we're expected to be anxious, if that makes sense. And okay. we of course we need to be informed, but we can also be over informed. And that's an issue with the the internet and technology. It's the amount of information that we have with the exposure we have to other people's lives, creates an expectation that it should be that we should be more. And and the, what an interesting thing is, our concept of enough has been lost in terms of how much is enough. And so being satisfied, yeah, with because loss. Your you know lot. you're you're sitting there you're thinking this is okay, and then you go on Instagram or you get an intrusion onto your phone, and you know Andrea Gilligan is in the Bahamas having a great time. and You're kind of going well. Now my Friday night doesn't seem quite as good because you're doing something else. I wish I was. The the issue being was how how do I ever meet that point of enough? And if enough doesn't exist, then contentment can't exist. So we're in a constant state of disgruntlement, and that's a societal, cultural thing. That's not necessarily. We can't point to that and say that's social media, that's screen time, that's culture, and culture hides harm in plain sight. Do you know what I mean? We're all being really unhealthy all the time. We're Mm. walking out in front of cars, looking at our screens. We're, you know, not talking to each other. But it's become normative, which means Mm. it's not normal. It's just what everyone's doing. And normative and normal are different.
1: I just want to pick up on another point, Dr. Claire Hayes. Um, I know you talked about kind of the conflicting evidence at the the outset of the programme, but just one point that I I noted from talking to a couple of friends yesterday, just in, in advance of today, was that Perhaps similar to Coleman, there is kind of, you know, parents will tell you anecdotally that they feel that their children are a little bit detached mm-hmm. from reality, education. I mean, teenagers and kids can often be a little bit socially, um, they can find social settings difficult, you know, in, in those kind of teenage years or when when they're young children, but that there's nearly, it's nearly more enhanced or it's more obvious now and a lot of parents believe that's because of the time they spend on the phone or their communication is with somebody else at the far side of the world in a game or that you know, they yes. don't have that same yes. level of interaction that we may have had 20, 30 years ago playing outside every day and having to make sure. eye contact and, and talk to kids. Sure. I mean, is that is that a
2: point that you'd notice or it is. And you know, there's a view that is easier to text rather than to phone someone because then you're not displaying your own emotions and the communication is is just quicker, easier. So I I think The whole thing around social media has had a massive impact over the last 10, 15 years. And we're growing up with children who have known nothing else. So I think it's really important that we take it very, very seriously. And we have conversations and discussions about this. And in terms of anxiety, I suppose my way of thinking of anxiety is is quite simple. It's like a fire alarm. And we need, it's a warning system that we need. So if we went into our neighbours and the fire alarm went off, we would probably feel anxious, think there was a fire and head for the door. But if our neighbours said, don't worry about it, it's just broken, and they get a brush and they bang it. Mm. Well, we might feel a bit more relaxed, but there's a problem having a, a broken smoke alarm. So when children are looking at stuff on the phone, they might feel a sense of anxiety. This is not something I should be looking at. Or i've been on the phone for three hours i'm supposed to only be on it for a half an hour Or parents might feel anxious thinking what are they doing so i think a lot of their thoughts that we have so certainly i agree with what coleman is saying but i think um, coming back to what we can do to help people with this i think understand actually what anxiety is and it's a normal reaction that we all have to either danger or perceived danger so there is danger to do with social media. There's a danger of concentration lapping, lapsing. There's a danger of isolation, withdrawing. All of those, the danger of what sites young children might slip into. But then there's also the perceived danger that we might have. So parents thinking my child is on it too much or children thinking my phone isn't as up to date as somebody else's. And then all of those thoughts or real dangers trigger a sense of anxiety that we experience. And that's not nice. It's uncomfortable to feel anxious.
1: It's funny because I was going to, we will come to kind of the help and advice for, for parents in, in a few moments. Um, I wanted to ask you about those kind of triggers or points yes. that parents should look out for. And you mentioned perhaps being withdrawn as, as, as one of them. Yeah. Are they often that obvious though?
2: No. No, do you mean triggers in ter- for, par- war- for parents uh, yeah, to... Yeah, like
1: I'm, I'm thinking of parents perhaps listening to this today who maybe just don't know if their kid, kid is, is suffering from anxiety or... You know, if if they're really anxious about a certain issue or uh, how do you broach the subject with your kids?
2: I think anxiety might be easier and and have views on this, too. But anxiety is easier to catch than depression. I think people can mask depression a lot and particularly through humour and, you know, pretending everything is great. But with anxiety, there tend to be signs like fingernails being chewed, like people pulling their hair, speaking very quickly. And, you know, a lot of activity, a lot of energy that parents can pick up. But because, you know, we are living in the age of anxiety, a lot of that has become normal too. So for parents, I think it's knowing their children very well, knowing a sense of what's normal for them, what's not, being able to catch it. And so if children have a change, so someone who's been very chatty, you know, full of life, who suddenly starts to go quiet, well, then it's a case of, well, what's going on? Or children Mm -hmm. who don't want to go somewhere where they were previously wanted to go to um so I don't it, it's challenging and yeah, I, th- I yeah. think for parents it's that comes back to their anxieties I think do you, do you want to come in on that point as well common doctor?
0: yeah I think from the point of view of um I mean when stress becomes distress that's usually what we see first so we see kind of someone who's maybe not sleeping well not eating well it's hard for parents to even monitor a mental state and well-being of a child who's kind of as you say, detached or in their phone all the time because you're not really getting yeah. a sense of it. And parents either over pathologize the use of the phone and saying, oh, there's something wrong, whereas that's just the way young people communicate now. And so we have to accept that that society is changing. And it you know, we all have our ideal of, you know, playing out on the road and hopscotch and things like that. But, you know, there were troubles back then as well. We had our own challenges. So we can't idealise that, but we have to actually be aware of what The cost of it is, and and essentially we're living in an attention economy. So, our attention is now the most sought after thing. So, our time staring at a screen means that those companies can charge advertising revenue. The most more time you spend with your attention, so it's an arms race for our attention. And children are absolutely gullible to that. You know, in terms of something simple like YouTube autoplay the next video. You know, you start watching one thing and then you end up in a sinkhole of watching. 17 Michael McIntyre clips when you only sat down to watch one. That's a kind of... That algorithm keeps giving you what you want. But importantly, is technology will never give you what you need. Do you know what I mean? So if technology knows, look, oh, Cullman likes donuts, well, we'll just send him donuts all day. There's no point in the day where technology goes, Cullman, would you not chance to drop a water? You know, you've had 17 donuts. Take a break. It's going to just keep giving me what I want. It's never going to give me what I need. For children that means they have to self regulate which traditionally mm-hmm. children are not good at they haven't developed that skill mm-hmm. to self you don't go to a sleepover with 3 12 year olds and they go lads we've a busy day tomorrow we might get a bit Sweet of shut eye it doesn't work like that <laughs> well, <laughs> you know from the point of view. so regulation we regulate everything for children we regulate their appetite their temper their sleep their wake cycle the technology has to be regulated as well
1: just when you mentioned that point actually about sleep um, the impact of, of anxiety or high anxiety levels on kid and, uh, kids and anyone's sleeping pattern patterns is that kind of perhaps one of the more obvious
0: Well the more you anxious know? you are the less you sleep and the less you sleep the more anxious you are mm. so from the point of view of it's a dual edged sword so kids who are more anxious who are maybe on social media late at night or whatever it might be and lots of young people will say they'll wake at four in the morning go on a website or something and be there for 45 minutes yeah. and then try and and school teachers I talk to say that there's a huge problem with children who are exhausted in yeah. school yeah. Um, and when you're tired as you know you're more vulnerable to emotional responses and so you get more anxious about things when you're not well rested so the idea that sleep is either a, an indicator of a possible problem in anxiety or anxiety is a problem which is causing them to not sleep well, but sleep is an indicator. We have to watch sleep, appetite, and socialization. Mm-hmm. It's really just from a mental health point of view. If you're if you're a parent, you have to just think. I think I feel and I do, and mental illness affects every aspect of that so what you do will be different how you think about yourself will be different and how you feel will be different and it's about looking for the behaviors which is what you're doing the cognitions like I'm useless I'm no good those kind of negative thinking and then I feel lost or I feel lonely or I feel sad and those are the three areas that you need to kind of I guess, be surveillance around and, and, and watch out for because those are the things that mental distress, that's the areas where you'll see symptoms or you'll see signs of distress.
1: And for somebody maybe listening to this coma, just on that point, that perhaps it's their partner, their child, or themselves, that selves that they recognize in what you're saying there in terms of those kind of those three or four elements. I mean, is it at that point that you need to kind of say, I need to go and have a chat with somebody?
0: Again, it, it, how much is too much from the point of view of we can cope? But there's a lot of things, life, like transitional mental health problems are are to be expected. If you lose a job, break up from a relationship, life throws things at us. We won't sleep for a while. We'll be tired. We'll be sad. And we talk to our friends and our family. We get through it. And we have support networks that allow us to kind of just adaptively learn coping skills and resilience to get through it. It's oftentimes not the severity of the symptom, but the length of the time that it's going on that it's not getting any better that would indicate whether I need help or not. So, do you know what I mean? You could be, after a bereavement, you might be devastated for a number of weeks, and that's absolutely normal. There's no need for you to be seeking professional help at that time. But if it's months and months and months and you're not moving on from it, maybe then there is some extra support that you need. So it is about allowing people to foster their own skill set of resilience to try and manage things because I think we can over pathologize a little bit and jump in on things and that kind of disables us from living, uh, creating our own skill set. But certainly if somebody's, if they're functioning as being in, so if a child is not being able to manage school, they're not socialising, they're dropping out of all their hobbies, mm-hmm. there's and real behavioural indicators around sleep, appetite, that sort of stuff and it's not getting any better, then that's usually the time to seek more help than you can give it but a, a simple conversation a chat yeah. and, and leaving that open door policy can do an awful lot and we can underestimate our own skill set yeah the screens are a big kind of uh, draw for children but parents are still they're, they're, parents are not always part of the problem but they are always part of the solution and so from the point of view of being able to support and, and access your child. We shouldn't give up on that just because we're competing with screens for them. Mm. Um, it's never been harder to have a conversation with your child, but it's never been more important to have that conversation either okay. because there's so many challenges out there.
1: We are going to have to take a very short break. Do stay with us. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines program. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment.
2: Between the lines on News Talk.
1: You're welcome back to the second part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're continuing our discussion on children and screen time, asking whether it's related or unrelated to increasing levels of anxiety in children today and perhaps maybe how much they are if so. Our panel is still with us, Colman doctor child and adolescent psychotherapist at St. Patrick's Mental Health Service and also consultant clinical psychologist and the author of Hope in the Age of Anxiety, Dr. Claire Hayes. My thanks to you both for staying with us today. Claire. I wanted to go back to a point you mentioned a little a little bit earlier in the programme today, just in terms of um advice and help for parents. And Coleman talked about the idea of kind of regulation and how we can kind of self regulate in certain in certain areas. I was reading an interesting report from the um the World Health Organization. They were talking about children aged um, between say three years of age, who are spending more than three hours a day viewing things like tablets and televisions, that they're less physically active. We only had a report there in recent weeks talking about how, you know, a quarter of children in society today can't, for instance, throw a ball, mm-hmm. can't kick a football properly, can't run properly, these kind of things. Is limiting screen time to perhaps one or two hours a day, is that the kind of thing that parents should be considering?
2: I think so. I think it's really important that parents take control over this. And the children, as Coleman said, they're not going to turn it off. And the chances are, as the children get older, but even young children, they're going to feel very unhappy when they're removed from whatever it is that's making them feel good, whether it's Peppa Pig or or whatever it is. So they'll want to do more and more and more of it. So parents then need to take responsibility for doing what's right and managing their own feelings and their own thoughts around, oh well, you know, they're quiet or they're happy or they're and balancing it and absolutely going out, kicking a ball, going for a walk in the park and but I think they have to be careful, particularly as the children get older, because if they're saying, well, it can only be an hour, it can only be two hours, then we're into battle times. And then what's what we're not supposed to have can become even more attractive. So my suggestion is that parents have a conversation with their children around why it's important for them to limit the, their their um screen time. Just the same as if there were a packet of chocolate biscuits in the press. Mm. You know, yes, absolutely, they can have one or two, but they're not going to sit down and eat 10 or 12 of them in a row. And why not? And the same with the screen time so that the children then, as they get older, take responsibility themselves for managing it and being able to say, well, I know I really, 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 really want to keep doing this. But actually, this is sneaky. This is advertisers trying to get me to basically exploiting me and I'm going to say no and I'm going to feel really good about turning it off.
1: Colman, Noctor, your view on on regulation?
0: Yeah, regulation is important, but prioritisation is more important. From the point of view of where do you put tech in your family? How high, impo- how important is it? Mm-hmm. If you create a kind of a only at weekends issue, you have a kid from who's at, from Wednesday saying to you, "Is it Saturday yet? Is it Saturday yet? Is it?" So they're looking for you're making this really special. It's it's very treat based, and you're saying this is really important. And you're right. The more rules you put down, the more intriguing and mysterious mm-hmm. the activity becomes. We have to actually prioritize it and say that you know technology comes. It it is the junk food of communication. It comes after the face to face, the stuff. the 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 Our value system should be that we communicate face to face first, and then when we're finished our chores and we're finished our homework, then you do. the bit of tech at the end the problem here and this is the uncomfortable conversation is parents have to regulate their own use of technology as well because the biggest template for children is what is my parents doing so if you're on your phone all the time even though you're telling your children it's a work thing and you know that's why you're there but if you're on the phone all the time and telling them to switch off, it's like, you know, you have your porridge, I'm going to have a packet of crisps. It just will not work. And, and children won't buy into that. And, you know, our tech devices, it's not just kids and screens. Like, that's a myth. Our adults are as guilty of spending yeah, some yeah. huge amounts of time on screen. And, you know, we try and explain it that we're doing this and we're doing that. It's really important. And But children just see you on a screen. And, you know, the issue being that there's, there's a funny cartoon of two kind of toddlers sitting around an iPhone and the mum and dad are so frantically searching behind the couch and the one toddler says to the other, I think it's like her Dodie. And the <laughs> issue is that you know there's a kind of a sense that we ha- have this kind of emotional connection to the phone. It makes us smile. It makes us happy. We get panicked when we don't have it. And then you're telling children it's not important. They're not going to buy that. Do you know what I mean? You have to place it as a value system within your own life. And if you can't go upstairs without, or going to the toilet without bringing your phone in there, they're picking up on that.
1: Well, it's interesting because on last week's programme one of our panellists Sarah-Jane Belton from DCU talked about the fact that for your just your average healthy kid needs 60 minutes of physical activity every single day. This isn't even the elite athlete. This is just for a healthy five-year-old. Is it a case and and obviously parents should be out doing their bit as well. So are we kind of in sort of basic advice for people today? Are we saying that you know if five-year-old Andrea Gilligan is going to go out and run around for an hour a day should I get 60 minutes so of my screen time, do you split the time between, you know, well you ha- if you do a bit of physical activity, you can have a bit of screen time activity or how do you?
0: Well, when you're trying to teach a child to self-regulate, you're trying to get them to to self-value, to be able to prioritise. Do you know what I mean? That that getting out is fun and it's important rather than it being a chore. And then you do that by creating fa- cultures within families. right? So let's imagine this, say every Sunday morning, we're going to go for a walk as a family, right? We're going to mm. walk the dog together. And everyone's moaning and groaning. I don't want to do that. And for the first six weeks, you will have a disgruntled group of people walking a dog. But that will just become then what Sunday morning is. And it will no longer become the point of So we have to stick with it to kind of value that this is important and we're going to do this as a family. Or we're going to value the the amount of... Like teaching self-regulation and valuation might be remove the charger from a young person, say they can only charge it once a week. So you're teaching them to save their battery or save their, you know what I mean, from the point of view, (laughs) rather than you being the baddie who's coming in and taking it off them all the time. So they prioritise. A full charge on your iPad should get you through for four days. So you can't have to charge it up for four days. So you teach yourself how to turn it off and say, well, I need some of this battery for tomorrow and I want to be able to. So you're kind of teaching self-regulation to regulate desire. Because... This is not just, if if we, imagine we took all the bad stuff off the internet, all the pornography, all the cyberbullying, we ruled all that out. You'd still have a kid who'd spend nine hours on YouTube watching cats on skateboards. Nothing inappropriate about that. That's not a regulation of content. That's a regulation of human mm. desire. And the issue is human behavior. You we have to teach ourselves to delay gratification. One of the greatest pieces of research ever done was the marshmallow test. So you give this kid a marshmallow and you say, if you don't eat that for four minutes, you get two. And they followed these kids through the 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 2000s. And the kids who could delay gratification did far better socially, emotionally, economically. That ability to delay gratification for the greater good is a Really important developmental skill, but we're living in a uh, in a culture that doesn't reward gratification. It re- it, it doesn't reward um, delaying gratification. Mm. It, like everything about technology is about gratification. Press that, get that. There's nothing in technology about fulfillment. So the concept of fulfillment is lost. It's about binge watch, all you can eat data. Don't have to wait. Don't have to do this. Get your quick yeah, you fix. Get yesterday. your shortcut. Mm. And that's about expectation and desire.
1: Can I ask you, Claire Hayes, perhaps just in relation to what Coleman's talking about the tips and advice for people on on self-regulation and trying to manage your kind of desires as well?
2: Yes, I think for us as adults to come back to acknowledging our own feelings. So I feel overwhelmed, I feel upset, I feel frustrated because I think my child is spending far too much on social media but I choose to act in a helpful way. And acting in a helpful way is, as we've been saying, helping the children to self-regulate, parents to do that too, or even first, and having a really good conversation with what is normal and what is not. I mean, some of the research out there is shocking in terms of children spending nine hours a day Mm -hmm. using screens, regardless of whether that's for schoolwork or not, you know, in terms of their eyesight, never mind anything else, it's a lot. So coming back to balance, and then three things to note, intensity, frequency, duration. So how intensely are children using social media? How often are they on it? How long do they spend? And with adults as well, knowing the the normal what's okay for their child, knowing if they become distressed Mm -hmm. or if they're hiding things, if they're becoming a bit secretive, if there's a sudden change in their behaviour. And really acting on that, acting on parents' instinct. And interestingly, I mean, I started with the research and there's a lot in it and I found it very confusing and and possibly I would have been better to come in today without reading it, but I just thought, gosh, Mm -hmm. it's published in January. But the key thing that jumped out at me is, if I can read it, well, they're saying, first of all, that given the lack of evidence for strong connections between the amount of time that adolescents spend on social media and related technologies and the mental health, the question becomes, why? So one of the things they're saying is another possibility is that the instincts and parental clinical intuitions among those connecting social media with depression and anxiety are correct. And the scientific community has simply not caught up or kept pace with new technologies in ways that allow us to capture their true impact and measurable effects. So there is so much stuff out there saying, this is okay. That's not okay. That's not okay. This is okay. I think the real learning for me in approaching this conversation today is to come back to my own instinct what is okay for me and certainly the children the parents i work with i think yes very definitely the social media is contributing to their levels of anxiety
1: for people listening that maybe want more advice um, or information on the topic that we're discussing today where is the best place to go to get it uh,
0: cyber safe ireland really good um and uh webwise really good practical advice around you know in terms of keeping things safe what's enough good boundaries good limits and and in- encouraging good relationships with technology, which yeah. I think parents are oftentimes helpful that.
2: And I suppose if I can just add one thing more, and when I'm working with people around taking their power back from whatever it is is causing them to feel anxious, whether it's dogs or social media or whatever it is, they, the treatment actually can make them feel worse rather than better. So for parents to realise changing their own behaviour around phones, they're not going to like it. So they might feel uncomfortable. So if they hear a ping and there's a text and think, "I really want to go and check that," but it's my child is watching me, so I'm not going to do it straight Mm -hmm. away. Just to be aware that that's okay. It's okay for them to feel uncomfortable. It's okay for their children to feel uncomfortable. It's not about getting them to feel better. It's about helping them manage their behaviour, and then gradually they will feel better.
0: And just one one last thing. I mean, a lot of parents out there are probably hearing different advice all the time around it. it. We are first responders here. This technology has not been around long enough. The iPhone baby is only 13. So we haven't even seen that the iPhone baby hit the teenage years yet. And we are trying to react and respond to what's in front of us. So the confusion guidelines and advice that people are getting is because as professionals, we're only starting to see correlation, causation, that sort of stuff as we go. And it may change again. But for the time being, it is about trusting your instinct, trying to keep things as regulated as possible. Mm -hmm. And just trying to keep it's it's. It's about connecting with your child. The, the, the answer is not a technological one, it's an interpersonal one.
1: Really interesting insights and we do hope we have provided people with some advice as well today and uh, some support mechanisms. My thanks to you both for your time. Colman Octor, who's a child and adolescent psychotherapist at St. Patrick's Mental Health Service and also Dr. Claire Hayes, consultant, clinical psychologist and the author of Hope in the Age of Anxiety. Do stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment.
2: Between the Lines on Talk.
1: You're welcome back to the final part of News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Today, we're continuing our discussion on children and screen time and whether or not it's related or unrelated to increasing levels of anxiety in kids today. Now, joining me uh, for the last part of today's programme in studio is Jane McGarrigal, who's a project officer with WebWise. Uh, Jane, thanks for joining us today. Um, can I just ask, Jane, what do WebWise do?
3: So, WebWise are the Irish Internet Safety Awareness Centre... Um, And we're responsible for promoting safer internet use among young people and we're funded through the Department of Education and the European Union and we're managed by the Professional Development Services for Teachers. And we have several different strands of work um, we create free education programs that schools can use and these address all sorts of different online safety topics, uh, we provide information and support and advice for parents, we run youth training programs and we're also responsible for the coercion, coordination of uh, Safer Internet Day Um, in Ireland and Safer Internet Day is actually coming up this Tuesday on the 11th of February and it's a day dedicated to promoting safer, better internet use among young people. Um, So it's quite an important time of Mm -hmm. year for us uh, where we try to encourage schools, young people and parents to do something to promote uh, internet safety. Um, And we actually have uh, over 170,000 students signed up to engage in online safety activities, workshops, lessons and that's involving uh, over 700 schools organisations, communities sports clubs um, so really it's it's a great time to be thinking about online safety mm. or if you're a parent um, to kind of visit our website and I suppose, get informed about some of those issues. There's there's lots of ways to get involved. Um, and on our website, we've developed a hub for anybody interested in participating, webwise.ie forward slash safer internet okay.
1: day. Just on the safer internet day, just before we maybe pick up on some of the other points, um, Jane, I presume this is something that you want the, the schools across the country to get involved with. And as you mentioned, for parents as well, maybe thinking, you know, my kid got a phone for Christmas or their birthday or whatever. Um, I'm not fully on top of you know how to use it myself but like is that what this is about or is it more about the what they shouldn't be looking at or
3: absolutely um our message is very much about promoting healthy uses of technology and healthy relationships with technology and so it's all about empowering young people to become confident responsible competent users of technology um so online safety is a massive area and there's lots of different topics and they change as, as your child grows up and the issues change. Um, so uh, we, we do encourage schools to get involved and, you know, use our free education resources. They look at lots of different things like uh, anti-bullying programs. Uh, they look at things like uh, practicing and safe communication online. And also developing key digital media literacy skills as well. Uh, so this year for Safer Internet, we're launching a brand new programme designed to support the, the junior cycle. It's called Connected. Um, and this is all about um, supporting students to develop key digital media literacy skills they need to navigate the online world and also give them an understanding of how these digital technologies work. Um, So this new programme has five different modules and it looks at uh, like really current and emerging issues. Mm. So things like misinformation, false information, uh, privacy, what are my rights online? Um, It also looks at big data and the data economy. These are quite complex topics and they are becoming more sophisticated as technology evolves. So it's really important that um, for young people, that they do have an understanding how these technologies work and this programme provides a really sound introduction to these areas. Uh, it's supported by lots of helpful explainer videos um, and there's also an online wellbeing piece in mm, there which we okay. know is a big thing for parents.
1: We were discussing earlier in the programme, Jane, about um whether or not, you know, increased anxiety levels in children today is or isn't related to their use or perhaps excessive use of screen time tablets their online presence. Um, we have, I suppose, conflicting evidence in terms of whether or not it is. But even on, a, on an anecdotal level, from the kind of, we'll say, parents and people that contact yourselves, is that something that that, that you would notice that, you know, our parents concerned that their kids are anxious about maybe what they're looking at online, the pressure to be online, their presence, that sort of stuff. Absolutely.
3: I think I think that's one of the most common things we get asked about from parents. Is my child spending too much time online? And there's lots of debates um, you're familiar with um, going on about screen time. And even the term screen time can cause um, conflict in the home as well. Um, from our perspective, we look at education and awareness and It's important also to focus on the quality of that screen time. So what is your child doing online? How are they interacting online? How is that making them feel? So it's important for parents, um, I suppose, to get an understanding of what way their child is spending their time online. And I also think it's important to commend parents as well on the work they are already doing um, because these are still all new areas for Mm. us and parents are finding ways and... um, strategies to help manage technology and help their child make the most of their time online
1: for people maybe just joining us who missed the perhaps the first um, part of the program today Jane I'm just thinking maybe of parents that are listening to this and look maybe they just don't have time to sit down and watch the videos and go through the website but what's kind of your advice to people in terms of good management you know for their kids whether it's on the phone or tv or the laptop or whatever like what is good good use or good quality time or how much time is too much time online? Well
3: unfortunately there is no magic number for screen time, but there's definitely some kind of practical steps parents can take. Um so the, the most important thing is to establish what way your child is spending their time online If and if that seems problematic or not. There's lots of ways um, we use technologies and each family is different. It's really important about striking a balance, a healthy balance in online and offline activities. Um, so it is important that children have downtime and entertainment and technology can play a role in that. Um, but children will be using their devices for education, creation and learning as well. Mm so it's important to recognise that as well and um, it's important also to set limits
1: especially for Yeah we were talking about that earlier actually this idea of kind of restrictions and putting sort of you know controls in place or in many cases giving the kids the control to decide I'm only allowed X amount of minutes or whatever
3: exactly Um, that's a really good point Um, having a conversation with your child and kind of agreeing some uh, rules and guidelines around screen time um, and setting some uh, you know I suppose uh, basic expectations around digital technology use are really important and it helps give children an understanding of uh, you know kind of passive and productive screen time so that's really helpful for them to understand and revisit those conversations revisit Those rules because as your child grows up, um, thing you know, they'll be wanting to explore different things as well. Mm. So it's important that we keep going back to that and keep engaged with our child, um, so that um, they can have open discussions with you if anything does come up online as well.
1: I think one of the concerns parents often have is that. You know, they're they're wondering about the implementation of, say, um, you know, barriers or blocking, or how do I know what site my child is on? My child is more tech savvy than me. They're going to be able to navigate around. You know, different kind of blocking mes- mechanisms that might be put in place. I presume that's something there's advice in your website about.
3: Absolutely, there's some of the more practical steps parents can take. Um, things like how to set up parental controls. All that information is there as well. But it must be balanced out with, I suppose, some of the kind of basic parent messaging, simple parent messaging, we would um, recommend parents to sit down, have a conversation with your child, um, find out what they're doing. And it's also really important as parents that um, we do lead by example as well and model good behaviour. So... If we're kind of talking about, you know, no technology at the dinner table, but we're sitting on the phone scrolling mm-hmm. ourselves, um, those don't, you know, that isn't sending the right messages either. So try and establish those good, healthy behaviours as a family, as a whole, and strike a healthy balance as well. You know, it's okay to say that, you know, we'll not have technology at the dinner table, those sorts of things as
1: well. And there are obviously rules that you as the adult should follow as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That if they're being put in place. Absolutely, yeah. Um, in terms of I just want to go back to the Internet Safety Day because that's taking place now this coming week on on Tuesday. Um is that something that all children should like will children just naturally be involved in the day through their schools? Is it a compulsory thing?
3: It's, it's not compulsory, but we work very hard in promoting it. And as I said, uh, uh, over 170,000 students are involved. And one of the highlights of our program is we run uh, an ambassador training program. So we recruit 100 second level students and it's a three month training program. Um, and it's led by our youth panel who are second level students themselves. So it's a peer led training program. And we give them training, skills, resources and tools they need to go back to their own school and lead Safer Internet Day activities. Um, So with Safer Internet Mm. Day, we really see students taking a lead in this. It's a fantastic programme and there's some wonderful initiatives taking place in schools across Ireland with some really passionate teachers involved as well. The teachers play a really, really important role. um, And I have to say, Um, They really welcome these resources and programmes as well. It's wonderful to see the engagement we've had this year. It's a record-breaking year for Safer Internet Day. Just give us finally, Jane, the name of the website again. webwise.ie And
1: all of this information will be available there as well.
3: All the information's there and advice for parents and free resources as well.
1: Jane McGarrigal, Project Officer with Webwise, my thanks to you for joining us in studio today. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download the podcast on our website or on the GoLoud app or on Newstalk.com. My thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from 6 and with Between the Lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.